Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Elizabeth Graziolo, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hi, Mark. Thank you for the welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have you here, Elizabeth. Uh, yeah. Elizabeth Graziolo is the award-winning founder and principal of Yellow House Architects in New York City, a collaborative-minded practice specializing in residential and commercial work. Uh, prior to founding Yellow House, she was partner uh, at Peter Penoyer Architects, where she uh, directed projects ranging from private homes to developments in the United States and abroad. In 2019, she presented at Architectural Records Women Entering the Profession of Architecture Forum helping to inspire the next generation of women architects. And uh, Architectural Digest profiled Elizabeth as one to watch in 2021. And she's recently contributed to pieces in the Institute of Classical Architecture and Art, Traditional Building, Veranda, and others. Um, Elizabeth, great to have you here. Thank you for having me, Mark. A, a pleasure. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing about Yellow House and, and how you started it. You started it very recently launching it in the middle of the pandemic. So I want to talk about that um, and growing it. So it's not, you're just not sort of starting it, but you've, you've grown it into a pretty significant uh, organization already. And so I want to talk about that as well. Before we do that, I want to learn more about you and, uh, and how you started this journey as an architect. So go back to um, wherever you learned about architecture, 
uh, who or what inspired you to become an architect and share that story to where you are now. Sure. Um, so going back to um, architecture, how I started, I actually fell into architecture. <laughs> I didn't grow up. I wasn't one of those people who grew up. I was like, oh, my gosh, I want to be an architect. No. Um, I was um, in a situation at a very young age where I wanted um, to go to university early. And that was like an outlet for me to get out of a situation I was in um, here. And um, one of my parents' friends, actually, it's somebody I was dating. His parents um, decided to help me and knew that I wanted to leave um, high school early and go to college. And um, I was always good at math and science and art. And I was trying to kind of like apply to places where caters to that type of um, skill set. And somebody told me about this little school in New York City called the Cooper Union. It's an amazing <laughs> school. <laughs> it's an amazing school for um, art, architecture, and engineering, which is pretty much like the three um, subjects that I'm good at. So I was like, oh my gosh, I want to apply for the engineering school. And I was uh, considered a foreign student at the time. I was applying for the engineering school and they were asking me, oh, you have to go take the SATs. I was like, the essay, what? And then the, <laughs> and the architecture school was, it was all based on a home portfolio and your exam. And I thought I was being clever. I was like, well, okay, well, I'm just gonna apply to the architecture school in the hopes if I get into this wonderful school of Cooper Union, I can transfer into the engineering school. And um, I took the test and I think I was like 15. I did not understand most of the stuff they were asking me. I, I, I don't know how I got in, but I got in and I never looked back. After that first semester, I just fell in love with architecture, period. Um, it's just, it was, it was something about architecture. It was like the way you see the world. It's almost like my eyes just like opened up for the first time. Yeah. Seeing things so differently, you know, and see how architecture itself is around, it's everywhere and how it affects people. And I just like fell in love with it. And 20 some years later, and here I am. Yeah. So you so you started, so you went to the Cooper to the Cooper Union in order to pursue engineering first? Mm-hmm. That Thinking was the that goal. You, you, you'd get into architecture and then transfer over to engineering. That was the plan. Yes. Yeah, very interesting. And so, so, um, so you fell in love with architecture. Uh, after graduating Cooper Union, what did you do? After I graduated Cooper, um, I was really lucky to have found a job at a small architecture firm. And honestly, I mean, you know, I've worked for smaller firm, and then eventually, even at Peters, we were smaller and we grew to be a large firm. I think somebody leaving um, school, having the opportunity to work in a small firm is the best thing you can do because you, um, you get to preview every aspect of the project. Right. You get to touch every, I mean, you get to know what it's like to file a DOB. You get to be involved in the design process. You get to participate in client meetings. So I think it was like really amazing. Um, so I ended up um, getting a job at a company called Chikunyani Kawa Architects. They are a small, um, smaller firm, um, high in residential. And back then it was like late 90s there was a, one of the partner was a woman. So it was a woman and this man, they from this firm and she was um, 
very selective on who she chose to come and work with her. She was tough as nails, but we learned so much from her. I was so lucky that she was like my first mentor, yeah. you know. And um, and it was great, but she works us so hard and she works so hard. So and this is where I kind of like learned like you have to have a balance between life and work. Right. Because after three years, I think we were like so exhausted. Not that I didn't appreciate what she gave us, but I really just I, we just couldn't keep up. And then hence a friend of mine um we were all at the same firm. She went to Peter's office and she was like, oh my gosh, Liz, we can get out here at 5 p.m. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm joining. Where do I sign up? (laughs) So that's when I started at Peter's and then, um, and it it was like a great firm to work, um, to work at. And um, when did you go to Peter's office? So I went to Peter's office in 2000, 2001, um, and then made partner in 2007 and been a partner there since then until last year. Um, great place to work. People are amazing. But me as a who I am, you know, um, it was like, what is the next chapter of my life? Right. Is this where I want to finish it? Or do I want to kind of like take it one step further? Hence, um, it was like one of the hardest thing I had to do was to leave Peter's firm to start my own company. And um, and it, it was like, it was the time for me. It was like, either I do it now or I never do it. And of course, I decided to do it the year there was going to be a global pandemic. It was perfect timing. <laughs> So did you make that decision prior to the pandemic? Yes, I did. Um, so, so how did that work? What was what was the inspiration? So so you said it was perfect timing. What was it about the timing that you said, okay, I'm a partner here, but now I need to go do my own thing? No, it's like I feel like you reach your 40s and then, I mean, you well, not that I will know because I'm only 29. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> And you're like, oh, well, you know, what, what is, you know, it's either I do this now or I just stay and I, you know, decide to continue with my life as is, which was, there was nothing wrong. It was like, great, I had a great team of people. Um, And I decided to, my, my kids, you know, I was married, my kids, I have two kids and my kids were getting of age where they didn't need me as much at as they did when they were younger. So it was like, that's what I meant by perfect timing was like, okay, mm-hmm. now I can kind of like start, you know, nurturing my next child, which is my next, which is the business. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so how did you do that? How did you, you're working at Peter's office and you decided, okay, I'm going to start my own firm. How do you start planning that process of, of not only building the new firm, but also the process of leaving the firm that you're a partner with? Well, you go to a lot of therapy session and then, (laughs) (laughs) yes, and then you start planning. No, I think it's, um, it's a scary thing to do. I think once you um, get over your fear, I mean, and it's still a scary thing to do because now you have like all your employees are depending on you. Your job is to make sure you can provide for all those people. You kind of promise this, you made this promise to you. So it's another type of fear, but the fear to jump, you know, to jump off, 
the ship, you know, in the middle of the ocean. That's how it felt like. And um, it was really tough. But I'm the type of person, once I made my decision, then it was like really kind of like writing the letter. I'm going to talk to Peter. I'm going to tell the other partners. And then once I was over, so it it wasn't done. You know, I did, I think it was in um, September and I gave three months notice a little bit more than two months notice. I ended up staying an extra month just to make sure everything was in place before I left. And during that time, like the last month, and I was very um, open with them, this is when I really started planning. It's like, okay, it's like nobody teach you business 101 how to start a firm. So you have to do all the research, talk to different people, take a lot of notes, consult with a lawyer, figure out a name. Oh my gosh, figuring out the name, that was fun. I want to, I want to, I want to get into that a little bit, but, but I don't, I don't want to take you off track. Yeah. Figure out a name. And so, um, the last couple of months at Peter's, I did take some time off, um, or just like after work, um, to really do a lot of my research, um, talk to people, um, um, try to figure out, you know, um, where can I find office space? What was I going to start with? And um, I was lucky one of my friends had reached out because the thing is like also once you make a decision like that, just start talking to people, it's like doors start to open up. It's weird. People say that it really is true. All of a sudden, then people were like, oh, well, I'll reach out. A friend of mine is thinking of doing a townhouse list. I'm like, well, I can't really entertain. I cannot start anything until I leave Peter. And all of a sudden, there there was a project that was lined up. And then I was like, great, I can pay my rent still. <laughs> and, then, um, and then so by the time I um, left Peter's office that February 3rd, when I started, I had three solid projects that were on my own. Um, I had a townhouse project, an apartment project, and a house renovation in Turks and Caicos. I mean, that was awesome. Um, and then, then the challenge was like, okay, then I need to hire people. And that part was really hard because most of my team members, they were with me for like anywhere from like three years to 10 years. Those were people who knew me. And all of a sudden you have to start from scratch. Everything is from scratch. This is what people don't realize. Even like printing out the drawing, the title block, you're like, oh, I don't have a title block. (laughs) I need to create one. (laughs) All these little details, you know, they count. And you take for granted because, you know, you've been part of a company for almost like 15 years and all of a sudden you have to think about, you know, letterhead, um, set up email, um, set up your IT services, um, getting computer. It, it's, it, it was a lot. It's a bit, it was, it was overwhelming. And honestly, the pandemic, I, I almost feel... Um, bad saying it was a wonderful thing that happened for me because I know it was such a bad period for so many people involved but it was like the time to kind of like pull back because as I was starting the business I was also attending all these events it was like crazy it's like you have to find time to work you also have to find time to um, mark you know to promote your business so the pandemic kind of like slowed everything down do I able to focus on the work? Do I focus on retaining the proper uh, people to work um, on your projects to create the ideal teams, which is um, 
office culture to me is very, very big to be able to have the time to really kind of like come through all the candidates and select the proper, the people you want to work with. Because most of those, you spend most of your time with the people you work with, unfortunately, most of them in your family. So they have to be fun, well, talented, fun people for the, to me, at least. Um, and the pandemic allowed me to do that. And because all of a sudden, all these people um, were out of work. And I was able to select, you know, who I wanted to work with. Yeah. Yeah. So there was an opportunity there, both in slowing things down, as well as uh, people being available to, to work with you. Yeah. Did you, did you, when you started the firm, it was just you right from the beginning? Or it did was you just bring me. on a team right, right away? No, it was me. And I had to, um, hire um, four people right away because um, not only the project that had just um, um, received from you know referrals, um, but a couple of our clients find out that I was leaving, and then one particular client um, decided that they wanted to proceed with me. But of course, it was like very open because I had a non-compete, um, you know, um, yeah. to honor. And um, but Peter was fine with it. We all signed off on it, and that was like a decent amount. It was a large project, so that project I had to kind of like get an additional four people. So all of a sudden, I started within a month. I was already eight people. And um, and then a couple more other projects came through right before the pandemic at the beginning of March. So by June, I was already 14 people. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how, how big is the firm now? Right now we're about 17. So about 17. So, so you went from, from one to 17 in a year and a half. Ish, yeah. Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. As architecture demand increases toward pre-pandemic levels and beyond, how are you and your architecture firm keeping up? RCAT is here to help. RCAT.com offers several free tools to help architecture and design firms like yours get work done faster. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find the right products for your projects and download BIM, CAD, and specifications right there on the same page without needing to pay or register. It's free. RCAT.com also offers product videos, catalogs, green reports, product certification information, outline and short form specification generation, and so much more. Visit RCAT.com today. RCAT.com is your one-stop solution to help increase your productivity and get more projects done faster. That's rcat.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team, buy project, and get organized with financial reports, communication, and notifications. My favorite feature in FreshBooks is the automated invoice reminders. I think sending invoices and getting paid is one of the biggest barriers to our success as entrepreneur architects. Who has the time? But if we don't send out the invoices, we don't get paid, right? 
FreshBooks makes it easy to send out your invoices and get paid fast online with a click of a button. And when your client doesn't pay you on time, FreshBooks will send them a friendly email reminder through a simple system that you control. Sign up for a free 30-day unrestricted trial and get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid faster. Go to entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. In the last few years, premium outdoor spaces have become a must-have architectural feature. And Infratech outdoor electric heating systems have become the brand of choice among leading architects. Infratech heaters provide energy-efficient ambient warmth that allows homeowners to live outdoors during cooler months. Clients love them because they can enjoy 100 more nights a year outside. Architects love them because of their unparalleled versatility. From heater capacities and colors to mounting options that can either seamlessly disappear or accentuate a space with beautiful decorative coverings. They're also the only comfort heat company to offer smart home integration and hands-free voice-activated control. For over 60 years, Infratech has made their products in the USA at competitive prices. They offer incredible design and live technical support at every stage of a job. A few years ago, I was visiting Sonoma Wine Country in California. It was during the autumn, so it was a bit cool when the sun dropped below the horizon. One evening, we joined a group of friends for dinner at one of the big wineries, and, and we ate outside on the veranda. That amazing Sonoma sun was setting behind the vineyard, so it was getting rather cool that evening, but we were very comfortable. In fact, the temperature was perfect for an outdoor meal during a cool Sonoma evening. I looked up and around to discover why that temperature was so comfortable and found, yes, you guessed it, an Infratech heater integrated with the design of the wood trellis above our table. All these years later, I know it was an Infratech heater because back at the studio, we were planning a large outdoor space for a client and outdoor heating was part of that plan. And we ended up specifying six Infratech heaters for that project. Their amazing customer support team helped us specify the right units and we had a very happy and comfortable client. Infratech is specified at the most prestigious properties around the world. Learn why and sign up for a free consultation at infratech-usa.com forward slash podcast. That's infratech-usa.com slash podcast. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So let's talk about those first four. Yes. I, because I've talked to many, many people, and yeah. I've talked to many, many people who have um, been in that situation where they have to hire their first employee. So what was it like to hire those those first four people? It was really tough. Um, the first, the very first employee was a recommendation of a friend of mine. So that was like a little bit easier. It was um, somebody with a lot of experience, which was great because I needed that. Do you, and do you recommend first, that to, to others who are hiring that first person to hire somebody with experience? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it also depends on the person's vision because my vision was I really wanted to build teams 
to actually work on different type of project because that's that is of interest to me. Yep. Um, I know certain architects who are very particular about their design and ownership. They really want to be the sole person, so they want to have full hundred percent control. I don't have that ego. I don't need a hundred percent control about everything. Yeah, yeah. So having somebody I can kind of like who can grow with me, I can trust. To me, that's a fun part of architecture to actually be able to juggle different design, do different things. So, and those projects takes a long time. So for me to be bogged down with just like one project or two projects for like four years or three years, it's not as interesting to me as doing me be involved with four or five different things and also giving other people the opportunity to be creative as well, which is my platform. Because I feel like at times, um, young people, younger architects, people have brilliant ideas, but they don't have a voice. They don't, they just get to they get placed on a team and then that's it, you know, um, it's more production. Um, I actually feel like, you know, these people are going to be the future generation. Why not start listening to them now, incorporate some of their ideas, even if you don't really do it all the time, but at least they feel like they are part of their conversation. And as architect, it's interesting. So, um, so having somebody with experience, great. but okay, so yes, it's great, but at the same time, it has to be with somebody who has similar vision as you. Right. Yeah, you know, that's important. That's yeah. very important because somebody who has experience may see the world completely different than you. So it has to, you have to have like some common grounds. So this person was very good. It was very, I mean, the person was great. He was able to jump in, help me hire the other three people, which was really hard because that was like in um, February of 2019. People were really busy. It was so hard to find really, to find really good qualified people. Yeah. So, um, so, but then once I had, okay, but please don't laugh, Mark, because out of the first four people I hired, only one of them was still with me. Yeah. So, so, so why is that? Was that, was that an error in hiring or was it just an evolution of business? Um, I think a little bit of both, but primarily, primarily it was an error in hiring because I, I was rushed. I needed to staff up in order to deliver. I needed to staff up. I didn't have the luxury of having plenty of time to take my time to interview. So I felt rushed and that was like my mistake. Yeah. yeah. And they were not, after a few months, they were not the proper fit. And so, so you've grown from from those first four people to now over fifteen people. Um, what is your plan for the firm? Is it is it is the plan to continue to grow, or is this sort of where you want to be, or what's the what's the plan for the firm in the future? As of now, I think just feel like it's a good size in terms of like how I want it to start and the different type of projects we have. Um, and the idea is like, I would love to have more time with the current people in terms of like um, us working together, knowing each other better, understanding um, aesthetically what we are about, understanding us as a firm 
before we grow bigger because those are like the people because right now I think I have an amazing core of people and I can see these people taking more leadership role in a larger network of people and but maybe not so quickly you know so yes I'm interested in terms of like growing the firm but I want to make sure I have a really good base a good foundation to do so. So how is that foundation developed? How is the firm structured now? You said that you're not 100% in charge and control of everything, like some firms, and you've built-, it's, built- No, it's, I say I don't want to, that's my goal. I don't wanna be in charge right. and have exactly. control, yeah. Right. Right. But right now I am, okay. I'm involved in every project and it's really taxing on me to the point that, you know, I barely get a weekend off during a month. Um, but I cannot sustain like that. Uh, right. So I want I want to groom um, my current staff to taking on, to taking on more responsibility, and also it's not only them. Also to train clients to say, okay, you're hire Yellow House Architect. This is a team who's going to be working on the project. These people have been with me for two years now. <laughs> Before it used to be like, I've worked with those people for ten years. They know me, but now it'd be like for at least two years. Um, and they know me, they know my aesthetic, and I participate um, in, definitely at the beginning in the design uh, phase of the project. It's, you know, I may not be able to participate in every meeting, but I do see every, you know, everything that's going on to some extent. And then people should also feel comfortable knowing me, knowing our style to kind of like be able to, you know, come up with ideas and say, oh, I think this is gonna work and Liz gonna be fine with it. Yeah. How, how did the name come about? So you had this option. It could have been Elizabeth Grazioli Architects, right? And 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 it's not. Uh, you chose to give it a name, Yellow House Architects. How did that process go? And, and how did you land on that name? Um, so that was a very long process. Um, I kind of like knew I did not want to name the firm after my name because to me, architecture is a collaboration among different people. It's never only one person idea. Even sometimes even your client has a say in the design. Actually, yes. Um, so they are part of the process as well. Hence, to me, it was very important that I did not name the firm after me and my name. Hence, the whole thing about like trying to find a name, what kind of studio it's going to be. Um, so after maybe three months um, <laughs> of like, you know, um, playing around with different names. So the name um, Yellow um, is, as one can see in different culture, it's always like such like a... Um, optimistic um, sign, you know, the sunshine, the color yellow, it's like bright, it's a happy place, I don't know, and I love the sun. And interestingly enough, I was in um, all um, in the south of France. There is, um, and okay, so the, that's the name, the color yellow um, house, and house to me, it's like a place where people collaborate. So, you know, conceptually, a house can be a place where you worship, a place where you work together, or a place you live. So putting the two of them together kind of like echoes what I was thinking. Plus, we were in the south of France. I mean, coincidentally, um, there's like the Van Gogh Museum. There's a painting that Van Gogh did that's called the Yellow House. And it was a house that he painted um, or when he moved down um, to the south of France where 
he painted the yellow house and called it the yellow house and he was invited uh, inviting his artists his friends to come down and collaborate with him at the yellow house i thought oh my gosh that's brilliant that's what i want to do i want to have a yellow house where i can invite you know amazing talented people to come and collaborate on architecture so hence the name yellow house great it's a it's a great name it's easy to remember it's easy to spell yeah exactly it's a great name um right now elizabeth we're talking to thousands of architects a lot of them are uh, small firm business owners like yourself um if there was one thing after building this firm to the level that it's that it is now if there was one thing that you could uh, share with those small firm architects that they can do right now to build a better business for tomorrow, what would that thing be? Um, again, I think it depends on the vision of the architect in terms of like what kind of firm they want to build. Um, I, I will say hiring kind of like a business person <laughs> would be key and try not to do everything yourself. Try to understand your limits and trust somebody will kind of help you on the business end because it's just so much work. It's just so much work. That's definitely something that um, I didn't really think about very well. And I will work if I had to do it over, I will try. And it's also scary because you know, financially, it costs a lot, or it costs more than you will want to spend at the beginning. But it's so worth it to have everything set up properly, and then you can focus on the art aspect of your business, which is what you're good at. Yeah, that's great advice. In terms of hiring somebody to help you run the business side of things for you, did you hire that person as uh, as an employee, so they're a, a, an office manager or somebody running the office, or is this a consultant that you work with uh, on part-time basis? I ended up hiring somebody I worked on on a part-time basis, um, who ended up doing a lot of the work, so it was not really part-time hours. The person yeah. was working constantly. Um, but now we, have, we also have an office manager who kind of help kind of balance that person's work and the work that we need in the office. Um, And that's been very, very helpful. And that person only started about a couple of months ago. And I was like, well, I really needed this. Like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) six months ago. So the sooner you can have that set up, I mean, ideally you want somebody who can do both at first, a full-time person. Right, right. That would be ideal. Yeah, that's great advice. I, I I agree with you. I think that um, you know focusing on the business and getting the business right allows you to be a better architect. Allows you to focus, like you said, on on your art. Um, yeah. I think it's a lesson that so many architects need to learn um, that they that they struggle month after month after month. And uh, like you said, sometimes it's 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 expensive, uh, but it's so worth it because the results that you get from working with somebody to help build the business is uh, really pays dividends later on as you grow. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Excellent. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, Elizabeth Graziolo is her name. Yellow House Architects is the firm. Yellowhousearchitects.com is the website. Go check out her Instagram. Uh, the firm's Instagram is Yellow House Architects at Yellow House Architects on Instagram. Uh, you can go see all the great work that they're doing over there. Uh, Elizabeth, thank you very, very much for coming up by and, and sharing your story. 
such an inspiring story to have grown it from basically zero to over 15 people um, in less than two years. Very, very impressive. Uh, thanks for coming by, inspiring us, sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. And I'm so happy I was able to make it work time-wise because it's been insane. It's been lovely to meet you and to chat with you. Thanks for coming by. Thank you. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. That's how Entree Architect will grow to serve thousands more architects just like you. Thank you to our sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and Infratech Comfort Heaters for their support of this episode. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership. Ready to edit business resources, live monthly business training for architects, a supportive architect community, and simple systems. Our new business system program developed for small firm entrepreneur architects just like you. It's all waiting for you right now at Entree Architect Academy membership, including AIA continuing education learning units. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect peers. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Thank you for listening. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it guys. 
Oh one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.